Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 242 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers, and I am here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, Happy New Year. We are in it. This is the first episode of 2020, which... Gosh, that, that has such panache. It does. The year 2020, yes. It's a big year. It's a big, nice round, entering a new decade. And we are starting off the year with one of our favorite things, which is to take your listener questions. We have four great questions that have come in that we are going to answer today. And hopefully you listened a couple weeks ago. It was the episode that aired right before Christmas. We also did listener questions. So we like to do these in pairs so that we can cover a bunch of parenting topics um, all, all at once or almost at once. But we did something a little different last week. And so we are picking up where we left off a couple of weeks ago with four listener questions that we are going to answer today. And we wouldn't blame you at all if you weren't listening to um, our episode on Christmas or whatever. So if you want to, you can go back and listen now. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a great one to catch up with. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. 
That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay. So our first question comes from Michelle and it's all about handling sick days. Um, kind of, you know, lots of nuances in sick days from everything from deciding when a kid is really sick, whether you believe them when they say they're sick, what you do with them when they stay home from school, how you report it. I mean, there's a lot going on. So let's listen to Michelle's question and then we'll jump back with our answer. Hi, Megan and Sarah. How do you do sick days? My oldest is a kindergartner and we're just beginning to navigate this. I felt like in preschool, if you were sick, it was not a big deal. But kindergarten, you know, the stakes are a little bit higher. And my daughter seemed, you know, sick. She had the kind of glassy look in the eye. She seemed tired, laid on the couch after we woke up. And then around 8.30 when school would be starting, uh, lost a tooth. And all of a sudden... Her mood just lifted. She was perky and upbeat. And I was kind of like, is it too late to send you to school? And on top of that, we had dance that afternoon. So because we canceled school, I told her, because you're sick, you can't go to your activity. I don't know. I'm just wondering, not just how you judge if a kid is truly sick, but uh, what do you do to fill up your sick day? Because I don't want it to become a fun thing. I tried to limit our screen time and I tried to make sure she actually rested. Uh, but curious what your strategies are. Okay. So Michelle, I think the first thing I want to say is that I have been there so many times with a kid whose sickness seems to fluctuate wildly (laughs) depending on how motivated they are to go to school. Um, really how they're feeling in the moment. I think that that can change. Um, it doesn't surprise me at all that a kid would feel worse when they wake up because I, when I'm sick, I feel worse right when I wake up and then I might perk up when something exciting happens. Uh, so I think like there's so many things to kind of break down in this question. I think for me, the first thing would be, do you now feel like because you've told her she has to stay home and she's sick now that she wants to go to school, would it be the wrong thing to do to send her? And I have been a proponent uh, my whole parenting life for do the wait and see. Like mm-hmm. I will often call the school and say, I'm going to keep him home for an hour. I'm just not sure you might see me around 930. And, and I've done that because often that does happen. 
And unless they're running a fever or like coughing like crazy, it's sometimes hard to tell if they just have a little of that lingering malaise or if they're truly sick. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach. Um, And I think it would have been totally fine had you decided to send her, um, but you didn't. So I guess then the other question, Sarah, is then what? Right. Yeah. No, I related to this question so much. Um, I think um, she's right that in the preschool, toddler and preschool days, keeping a kid home becomes so much more about uh, contagion management because kids get sick so often. And it's, you know, it's really crucial that you keep those kids who've had a fever in the night or who've been vomiting or who have really green snot. Like you, you have to keep them home. And I think that's most of the calls you make seem they seem more clear somehow when the kids are really tiny. And then you do get into these elementary school ages where my kids, at least I know all kids are different. My kids handle their, their colds pretty well these days. So there's a lot more gray area where maybe a kid was coughing in the night. And so they didn't get great sleep and they've got that glassy eyed look, like she said, when they wake up, but they haven't had a fever. They technically slept all night. And so I feel like I've run into these, uh, these, you know, subjective calls a lot more in elementary school. Um, I will say sometimes I make it based on my own convenience. Like if I think I'm going to send this kid to school and they're not going to make it, they're just going to be really tired and come to the nurse's office and call me. And I can't deal with that because I'm going to be running all over town. So then I just keep them home proactively for my own schedule. But then the question becomes, what do you do once they're home with you? And I appreciated that she brought up, um, like not having it become super fun, especially with my kids and their relatively limited screen time, like that could become a real thing. Like, I know I'm going to stay home with mom and play on my iPad all day. And this is going to be great. So um, I do try to keep it as unfun as possible, like not miserable, but if you're home, you're, it's going to be kind of boring. That, so that's, that's like the litmus test for me. If my kid is sick enough that they would rather be home and be bored because they really need that much rest, then it's probably a good sign they need to stay home. Um, But I do try to say, like, if if it's a gray area and I'm kind of on the fence about it, I do try to remind them it's staying home is not going to be fun. I'm not available to play with you and um, it's not going to be a free for all of video games. So, you know, what's your what's your not what's your choice? Because ultimately it is still my decision, but I have tried to be kind of boring about what happens on a sick day so that it doesn't become that thing where it's super fun. So I think I have a very different way that I handle this. Interestingly, mm-hmm. although it still winds up being kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess for me, I feel like once I've made the call, they can stay home. I'm also, I also know that my kids aren't always sick when they say they don't want to go to school. Like I'm a believer in mental health days. So I probably take a more relaxed approach to this than a lot of parents, not surprisingly, but when, if they do decide to stay home and I call it, um, again, I probably, if it's gonna, so if my kid's not contagious and lethargic and they actually could probably go to school and pull it off and it's going to cause a bunch of inconvenience for me, then, then I don't, then it's like, sorry, you got to go. Um, and I can be kind of arbitrary about the way I make that decision. It might be, you know, you shouldn't have taken that day off two weeks ago when you seemed a little sketchy about whether you were really sick or not. Cause now you need to go because now you just had an absence two weeks ago and you're not going to do that again unless right. you're really sick. So there are times I make not an arbitrary call, but it's kind of relative to what's going on around or what they've done in the past or what I have going on. But if I've decided that a, the, they have enough absences left and it's not going to cause an academic problem or be a disruption for their classroom. So that is a concern. So that's off, you know, the, off mm-hmm. the table and B, um, 
they're like sick enough to stay home. Right. Then I kind of just let them have a day. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I kind of feel like then their sickness level, like I've already made the call. They get to stay home. Um, now they're not going to play video games all day because I wouldn't let them do that anyway. Right. But like, I'm, and I'm not going to play with them because I wouldn't do that anyway. So they have to understand I'm going to go about my day the way I would go about my day regardless. But I guess I don't put, I don't intentionally do anything to restrict them because I haven't found that that makes them more likely to want to do it again. Yeah. Like it just, does that make sense? Like I haven't found that, that they're like, Oh, you know, this was an awesome day. I was like, it was a total party. I'm going to do it again. It's right. more like the days that they want to stay home. There genuinely is a reason that they want to stay home, whether it's because they don't want to go to school because they're super bummed out about something that happened yesterday. And that's something I can't really understand. And they're kind of feigning being sick, which mm-hmm. I think happens sometimes. Um, or whether they really just don't feel well, or they're really tired. I mean, the, all those things happen sometimes. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it's kind of like what you're saying, but it's a little well, different in that I don't have any kind of position. Yeah. And it. I think I, what I'm hearing is a lot of age difference to it. It feels like you're talking about older elementary, middle and high school kids. Yeah. And my experience has been with littler ones. Um, and so I think there might be some of that in there, too, just because the younger they are, the more you are kind of on the on the hook to entertain them. And that is where I have felt this slightly slippery slope of if it feels really fun to get a home day with mom, um, it could be tempting to be sick a lot more often. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that. Well, and I think that's where the whole, like my life has to continue regardless. Like, like it's almost by default, not fun. Yeah. And that's what I meant by it's going to be boring. Like I'm not going to, take my work day and do it differently. So just right. letting you know what it will be like. Cause it, I do think when, as my kid, when my kids are younger, they picture it like summer or like, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to go do something. Um, that also reminds me that I wanted to mention the thing about going to dance and we do have oh, right. a, a loose family policy that if you're home from school, you are home from activities yes. and, and we've yep. stuck to that. And that will also make kids think twice, especially if it's an activity that they really like um, or something else they're looking forward to that when you're, and I think my mom did that when I was a kid too, because I of course wanted to go to ballet, even if I stayed home from school and she, you know, no, like if you're, if yep. you're sick enough to stay home from school, then you're missing your activities too. And sometimes that has, has repercussions. So. Yeah. And that's definitely been a uh, something like, in our house, I would say that's 95% of the time. Maybe there's been some examples. I'm sure there have been of something that was like in the evening. And by the time it got there, I was like, you know what? I think you're well enough to go. But yep. the policy is you don't, you're not going to go to that thing. And in fact, I kind of feel like that's an unofficial school policy or mm-hmm. like it wouldn't even ever occur to me to send a kid to a, like, if they were too sick to go to school, it would never occur to me to send them to an activity um, so that's just, you know, I'll remind them sometimes like, oh, you know, you have X, Y, Z after school or you're supposed to get together with a friend or whatever it is. And that won't happen if you stay home. And there have been times that that ended up being the deciding factor for them. But have, there's just so much nuance. Have you had kids who are on the opposite side where they want to go to school and you have to say, like, you are not well, my friend? Mm, um, I'm thinking, I think it's probably happened a couple of times. I remember it happening with me in fourth grade because I had perfect attendance and I got to like March and got the worst, like terrible sickness. And I remember my mom just saying, I'm so sorry, you can't go. And I was crying. And I, I feel like my kids have had a couple moments like that. Like there was something at stake. Yeah. 
and they really like there was something special that yeah. day and they really wanted to go but even they knew they couldn't yeah. like it was a very weak attempt yeah um like like a day where there's a field trip yep. or like a some kind of fun thing going on in school and but i was like you know i'm sorry no yep. no that's <laughs> it, it has happened with us and it is this, like you said it's a field trip or something they're so disappointed yes. to miss and you just feel awful but i remember sneaking out in 10th grade to go to um bye bye birdie rehearsal oh. <laughs> after school when i was deathly ill like so sick and i remember my my stepmom showing up and being like what are, <laughs> i came home and you weren't there what are you doing i got like it was so embarrassing it's like fever, I was, feverish megan like stumbling around trying to get to yeah, rehearsal it truly was like i i had no business being there but to me that was like the highlight of my life yeah. at that time was like theater play, like play rehearsals so I wanted to be there and I got in big trouble for that one. I, I definitely powered through probably not fevers because that would have just knocked me out. But I remember powering through a lot of colds and, you know, laryngitis. You and I both lose our voices. And uh, this is like later high school, but choir, dance, like shows, mm-hmm. rehearsals. And I just feel like I was kind of sick a lot of the time. Maybe that's just my <laughs> memory, but, you know, like powering through colds, um, and I guess the older you get, the more probably the teenagers can help make those decisions a little bit. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Well, and and in my house, like it's not always easy to tell. Like I'll have a kid who um, they just it just manifests differently, I mm-hmm. guess. Like when they're little, they they can barely breathe and like everything is running. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're not probably taking meds. The same way, like they're not yeah. managing their own meds by the time I was a teenager, like I would pop a Sudafed if yeah. I needed one. And so it's just a very different relationship with the the kid and their own symptoms. And you have to like learn how to trust them in a different way about the, how they feel. And mm-hmm. yeah, you, you get to make less of the call. The call really becomes about, you know, can you afford to take this day off? Like, really, can you? Because it does, the stakes do get higher, yeah. definitely in high school. Um and like what they're going to miss at the same time, you don't want an infectious kid running around, right. like bringing off down the rest of the sophomore class. So right. yeah, and, it's, it's very nuanced. And that is so drilled into you when your kids are tiny about not sending kids to school who are spreading germs. And I think right. I've always taken that like really, really seriously. So anytime I do send a kid that's in that lingering cough phase where they are not contagious anymore, they, but they sound bad. I always feel like I'm doing that thing where I'm like, um, they're fine. Like they're really they're fine. I swear. I swear. Yep. And I'm, I'm very, very good about it. I really don't send contagious kids to school, but I have sent kids to school who look or sound like they might be contagious. And yes. I'm, I'm very sensitive to that judgment or perceived judgment. Um, two of my kids get coughs that just linger well after, mm-hmm. you know, the virus has moved through. And so I always kind of feel like it, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, well, you know, the thing is that doesn't go away because there are people, right? Like I remember working my first food service job, um, maybe not my first, food, like a, a food service job in college. And I had to come in. And I remember like think saying, I, what, like, you're going to make me come in. I'm so contagious and I'm going to be carrying food to people's, I, I remember like the, um, how jarring that was mm-hmm. to go from high school when everyone was telling me, stay home, you're sick. Like you can't, you can't, you can't. And then suddenly here I am in college. And like the expectation is you're going to go on with life and it doesn't matter who you infect. And yeah. I felt awful about it. Yeah. I mean, I felt awful, but I also felt awful about all the people I made sick. If you went to a steak and shake in Kalamazoo, Michigan, 
in February of 1995. <laughs> it's a very good chance that I made you very ill. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Um, I was just thinking about our full-time outside the home working, like two parent working families and wanted to mention the interview you did with Colleen from the mom project because yes. she answered some great questions about um, the logistics of taking sick days for yourself to care for a sick child and disclosing what, you know, what you're doing, all that. Because one thing we haven't mentioned here is the plight of being full time outside the home, which we have both done with small children in daycare. Um, and that's a very different call about it's, it's also about like, how do you get coverage for the kid who needs yes. to stay home? You and I are, you know, we can have a full work day while the kid is over there on the couch because we work from home. But if you don't, that's like, that's a whole other thing to consider. So I will link that up. And I thought she was, had really smart things to say, um, on some things I, I was not aware of, um, from yeah. that perspective. So, all right, well, we should take our next question and it comes from Mallory. So Mallory is a mom of two under two. She has a 21 month old and a five week older. That's how old they were when she sent this into us. So they're a bit older now, um, but she has a question about accepting help from people who offer. She says, there are several people in my life who have said, let me know how I can help. Honestly, I can think of several things they can do from playing with the toddler to cleaning the house. My only problem is I don't know how to actually reach out and accept the help. And she gives a couple of examples. She was trying to load both babies into the car and someone offered to help. And she was like, no, I got it. And then she was like, why did I say that? Wait, no, I don't. I don't, yes. I don't got this. Um, and her mother-in-law has offered to take a day off of work and come over and help. And she's had his, hesitated to say yes, because it feels like a lot to have your mother-in-law in your house. And is it a social visit or how do you actually put her to work? Like, what are the actual right. things you do to accept that help? So she says, if y'all have any thoughts on how to accept the help that is offered, I'd appreciate it. And that came from Mallory. So I thought that's a great question. It's a great question. I think we've all been there. Um, first of all, going from one to two is when you realize that those reflexive things you say about, <laughs> I got this or whatever, you're like, wait, what? And it's almost like you have to practice a new way of answering those questions. Like you literally have to have a different answer in your head and almost play it out like what that would look like. So yes, that would, you know, like when you, um, Mallory, if you had said, um, sure, I would love some help to somebody who was trying to help you get the baby and the toddler in the car. Well, then what? Like, are, are you going to hand off the baby car seat and then they're going to stick that in? Or are they going to take the toddler's hand and lead and walk them around? Like, it's almost like you have to play it all the way through so that you don't feel awkward because mm -hmm. then you don't want to be like standing there, like kind of fighting over who's going to take. Like, I'm just picturing this, like someone grabs the baby's car seat and there's this like back and forth. So it's almost like you have to, in your head, know what in that moment would actually be helpful to you. And totally the same thing with your mother-in-law. Like maybe it's not helpful for her to come over. Maybe it's helpful for her to take your um, toddler away mm -hmm. to her house for the day. Or maybe it's helpful for her to come and you put yourself in your room and take a nap. Or maybe it's helpful for her to come um, hold the baby and you and your toddler go out for an outing or vice versa. She comes and plays with the toddler and you leave with the baby. Like there's all these different scenarios. But I think that the first step is figuring out what do I actually need? Yes. Um, and then how, like, and then what is the way to express that to the person who's offering the help? And I just think that that takes some, like, it takes some mental work on your part and then some practicing. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. Yes. You can't really accept the help until you know what help you want or need. And you can't know what you want or need until you kind of 
check in with yourself. And when you're in the weeds with two under two, that's hard. The other mm-hmm. thing I'll say is I am someone who sometimes wants to come up with the perfect system or the perfect solution or the most efficient use of everyone's time. Yeah. And that can be a roadblock to just accepting some small gesture, even if it's not perfect. So the mother-in-law example, I might be tempted to, yeah, like you said, play out. Okay. What's the, what do I really want? What's the most, how can I get the most done on this day <laughs> of free childcare? And you know, it might be a little awkward the first time it might not go perfectly. The baby might cry more than you thought and you've got to take back over. I still think flexing that muscle and practicing the, if it's a genuine offer, practicing accepting it or even half a day and going through the, the other muscles you have to flex, which is being humble enough to let somebody into your home and kind of see you Mm. in that vulnerable place saying thank you and just being okay with appreciating something, even when you're not in a position to return a favor. Those are all things that are really hard, especially as women, especially as moms. Um, but the more we practice, the more natural they feel. And I think we've talked about this before on the show, when you accept help from somebody, um, it also gives them permission to ask for help. And so it kind yes. of, it, it creates this spiral favor. effect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I also think like, if you go into any offer of help with how do I get the most done with that? Like you're probably <laughs> going to be disappointed. Like, well, that's because how that's, my brain works all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's, you will like the, the nice happy accident is that even if you take a nap while your mother-in-law's there, you'll get more done later because you'll be rested. Or Mm -hmm. even if you just leave the house and go do something fun for yourself and the baby or yourself and the toddler or however it works out, um, the, the net result will still be you get more done. It just might not happen then. It might Mm -hmm. not happen in that block of time. It might not happen as a direct result from that help, that Mm -hmm. helpful gesture. So it's also cool to just decide you're going to like, lock yourself in your room and take a bubble bath. And then who cares what your mother-in-law's doing yeah. downstairs? Yeah. Like, it's n- none of your business at that point, you know, yeah. um, which I know is easier. Said easier than said than done. Um, I wanted to bring up something about paid help. If it is an option, because some of us have um, for some people, it's harder to ask for favors or accept favors. And it might be easier to, Um, think of something small that you can hire out or outsource. And I don't mean a full-time live-in nanny or personal assistant. I mean, when we first had our very first baby, we decided to splurge on monthly yard work and it was like $75 and it felt Mm. like the biggest deal. But I, I wanted my husband inside with me helping with household and baby chores and not mowing the lawn in hundred degree Mm -hmm. Arizona heat. And it was, it was like one little thing that just, First of all, it made us feel like grownups, like, whoa, we're <laughs> like hiring somebody to do something for our house. At the time, we were really young and didn't have extra money. It felt um, it, it felt like we were taking control of our the time money equation and thinking, how can we outsource something to buy us more time? So uh, I know this question came in as accepting help that's offered as favors, but I'd also t- encourage you to think about if there's small ways that you can outsource something that might cost you a little bit of money, but buy you back some of this, um, you know, some of the overwhelm and stress that comes with having two under two. I've talked at length on this show about how bad I was about getting regular babysitting when my kids were, especially when I had my third, when I had like zero, two and four, it it stopped being possible to find like a, a cheap babysitter who could do it. And so I got out of the habit and it was years before I got comfortable again 
And it wasn't like I was like afraid. I just got out of the habit. And then it seemed like such a hassle and such a big deal to teach somebody how to put my three kids to bed. And I wish I'd flexed that muscle more. Honestly, I wish I'd been more in the habit of saying, you know what? I need three hours to myself this week. So I'm going to hire a babysitter. And that's another way of asking for and accepting help. It's just, it has a cost associated with it, but not always a high cost. So, right. Well, and your example about yard work is great because when, when there is something that needs to be done that is looming and it doesn't get done, um, it creates anxiety and it can create resentment. Um, and like you said, you wanted your husband in with you because you needed help, Yeah. (laughs) whether, you know, whether you got the help directly from a childcare provider or from your husband, because he wasn't tied up doing something else. Yeah. Um, I had a similar example with getting our garage cleaned. I remember we hired someone a long time ago before, before I was in the habit at all of hiring people to do anything. But otherwise I just would have been thinking every weekend, like, well, the garage really needs to get cleaned, Mm -hmm. but do I want, you know, John to disappear into it for seven hours. (laughs) Do I want to do it? I've got a baby and a toddler that how's that going to work? Right. So, yeah. So there's all kinds of ways to add help into your life to free up other areas, even if it's not direct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have often admired large families like yours, Megan, and other, you know, friends who have four and five kids, um, because I think it makes it almost, it's like no longer up for debate. You have to call in reinforcements, whether it's mothers-in-law or paid babysitters or friends or neighbors, you're trading, you're co-oping. And so I think if we could all adopt the mindset of somebody with like six little kids and, and um, you, it's not that you lower your standards, but you get over yourself a little bit. You get over this, like, do I really need the help? Is it worth it to ask? Do I deserve it? You get over all of that because you need it. Like, so the only other option is drowning. So you're like, like, yes, imagine like put yourself in that mindset of like, you have triplets and you have to have help. So now how do you accept help? Um, and I think that I, I often think we can learn a lot from, um, those moms who are in a little bit more of an extreme circumstance for whatever reason, because, uh, you know, again, you get over yourself faster because you just have to accept the help. So we are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest. I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know, what's good to go. My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? 
Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, our next question comes from Brady, and she said, Hello, ladies. I was wondering if you have any wisdom about when kids get out of bed in the middle of the night saying they're scared. My six-year-old son does this often and has for about three years. Not every night, but maybe once or twice a month. So first of all, I'll just pause there and say that's a little different than if it were every night. Once or twice a month. Yeah, still something she wants to address. Totally Cool, but different than nightly. In the middle of the night, he'll creep into our room saying he had a bad dream. His end game is wanting to sleep in our bed, which we don't allow due to my husband's early work schedule. So I groggily walk him back upstairs to his room and he usually goes back to sleep without a fight. I guess I should be glad he goes back to bed relatively easily, but unfortunately I have a really short fuse at 3 a.m. Don't we all? Yes. Yes. The only ones who don't probably are the ones who just haven't slept through the night in years. (laughs) And then you're just so used to it. I, I have found sidebar that the better my kids sleep, the worse I am about getting up in the middle of the night. Absolutely. Once you're, once you're out of that phase, like it's so hard to go back. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, it's very difficult for me to muster up comforting and reassuring words when I'm half asleep, which I totally can relate to. So how do you handle this? Any tips or tricks, or do I just chalk it up to another, or do I just chalk it up to this being another difficult, but unavoidable aspect of parenting? Thank you. Love you guys, Brady. Um, Yes and yes and yes. Okay, so it it could be one of those difficult but unavoidable aspects of parenting. I think that I've had at least two, maybe three kids for whom the nighttime visits um, <laughs> have persisted and been a thing um, to different degrees. Sometimes it's the once or twice a month. Sometimes it's like, you know, a couple times a week. Um, I've had a few that it's almost nightly for a while. Uh, so first of all, I guess just to reassure, like, I don't think you owe your kid super comforting and reassuring words (laughs) at 3am. I think the fact that you're getting out of bed is more than, and like walking them to their room is more than I often could muster up um, the energy for, or even just like the ability to do at that time of the night. When my, when Owen, I think I wrote about this, maybe I don't remember where I wrote about this. I've definitely read and heard about something. Owen. Um, he had such a long string of, of those kind of nighttime wakings that I actually had like a little bed on the floor um, next to my bed that he could just like, he knew better than to wake. Cause for a while he would just stand next to my bed. I guess not wanting to wake me, but he would stare at me. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that feeling you get when you know someone's looking at you and I'd wake up and be like, ah, so um, I told him just don't do that anymore. If you come in my room and like, and we're asleep, just lay on the floor and go back to sleep. So we were kind of able to train him into doing that. And I knew because he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting into my bed with me and sleeping in my bed. Um, not to say I never let him do that, but it was really, really rare. He really was only doing it when he was truly afraid. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't, I, I never felt manipulated by him. There's been other kids in my house 
that shall remain nameless, who <laughs> I know were just trying to get my attention. Yeah. Trying to get in the bed. Like you can kind of tell the difference, I think. Um, and how you react can be different. But I think your your ability to sleep matters too. Mm-hmm. So like I guess I don't really know that there's one solution. I think it could be many different solutions. Um, but like it's okay that you don't feel super nurturing at 3 a.m. I agree. Um, a couple of great things I think about this situation, and I'd probably have different things to say. First of all, if it was happening every night and if the child were in real emotional distress from right. nightmares or night wakings, I would, my advice would be a little different. So what, what is interesting about this case is it's not every night and he goes to sleep on his own relatively easily, which yes. is great because he, I'm sure he is having a bad dream and he would love to be close to mom and dad, but he's 80% of the way there to yeah. be, to having really good soothing skills. So with a six-year-old, um, I, I have been very honest with my kids that, you know, mom and dad need our sleep and in our house. This is when I go to my in our family, we or in our house, you know, everyone sleeps in their own bed and, you know, we have a goal to sleep there all night. I will always help you if you need something in the night, but let's set you up with a few tools in your room so that maybe you don't even need me and we can all sleep a little bit better. And that's when you start to pull out things like, you know, give him a few, a sequence of things that he can try in his own room before he comes to get you. And maybe it's as simple as a little nightlight that he could turn on or, um, like a few, I mean, there's, we've done a lot with my younger two kids who have nighttime fears about like, um, breathing exercises or meditation or little, little things you can learn, just download the calm app or there's a million things you can do, but some little counting exercise or meditation exercise, a little nightlight, um, any, any little sequence of events that he feels like I'm going to try these three things before I get mom. And then the next thing I was going to say is what you said, which is I have tried to be as boring as possible in the middle Mm -hmm. of the night, which is, I don't ever want my kids to feel like they can't come to me or call for me. So I, I, I would never say you can't, but I'm going to be as uninteresting and as minimally helpful, like provide the minimum yes. amount of help and support. And of course, I am not talking about a kid in major distress here. I'm talking right. about the kid who is standing like, oh, and so making a bed that they can um, get into, I think is a great example of that. Like, yep, you can come be closer to me. Just, you know, you don't need to wake me up because here's your bed. Um, I've also employed the least interesting parent. So I know later in this episode, we're going to talk about um, having a strong parental pe- preference. If the preference is for me, I have sometimes said things like, you know, mom has been getting woken up a lot in the middle of the night lately. So for the next couple of nights, it's going to be dad on duty. And it's amazing how the needs just seem like, to hmm, reduce themselves yes. because Mom was the one they wanted. They knew they could have a parent, a very nurturing, responsive yeah. parent, but they were like, eh, I don't really care. <laughs> so, right. Yes. Because what they want is mom. Yeah. No, it makes yeah, so much sense. So the bed on the floor, the least interesting parent, or sometimes it's a matter of kind of weaning the amount of involvement. So you might say, oh, I'm so sorry you had a bad dream. Um, I'm not able to walk you back to your room right now, but I'll keep a flashlight by my bed so that you can escort, your, escort yourself back. Yeah. Like, so you're, you're meeting them halfway, but you're, you're making it slightly inconvenient and uncomfortable for them to go through these hoops. Right. Is it worth it for them to get out of bed? Exactly. Exactly. And come and visit you. And if if all you're doing is grunting, like (laughs) I remember doing that, that sort of like half hearted, like, "Mm," and like kind of patting their back and then being like, go back to bed and really like talking very low, like just not kind of the way you would do with a baby in the middle of the night. If you didn't want them to fully rouse, Mm -hmm. because you also don't want to stimulate them. They might be coming to you in a very like half sleeping 
like reflexive way. Right. They don't even really know what they're right. doing. Yeah. And that's why I think having a couple tools or something to expect, it just might like there he's showing up because that's what he does. And you're responding in the way you always have. But, um, and, and again, I think all of this is because he's already doing a really good job. He's already right. showing he's not terrified in his room. He's able to go back to sleep on his own. So you're 80% of the way there. You just get yeah. to set, I think probably, especially because he's six and not two and a half or three, you get yes. to set some realistic boundaries that will put you back to sleeping all the way through the night without, without, you know, making him feel abandoned or hurt. Cause it's, cause you're yeah. almost there. I think. So. I think you're right. And I think that probably by the time Brady hears this, this will have been resolved. Like my feeling is if a kid is that close, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're like almost, they're just weaning themselves off or maybe they're going through a little phase at night where they're, and they're coming up on a developmental milestone and they're having some sleep interruptions. And often this stuff just kind of works itself out. Yeah. Um, when it's that, when they're that old and it's that infrequent. And like you said, Sarah, they're not in super distress. It's probably already phasing out without you having to do much more. Yeah. All right. Solved that one. Solved. All right. <laughs> moving on. Let's see if we can have this much success with the last one. Um, so this last question for today comes from Nat and she says, hi, Sarah and Megan. I'm a mom of a one-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter in Ottawa, Canada. I have a question for Sarah. I've heard you talk about parenting a child who wants to be glued to mom. My daughter wants to be glued to dad. He loves being the favorite, but it's relentless for him. I'd like to help take the load off of him. But when mom or dad are both home, she only wants dad. It's hard for me too. I often feel like the rejected parent and I wish I had a better connection with my daughter. Do you or your husband or a grandparent of your children have any advice on how other parental figures can connect with a child who only wants to be glued to you? Okay, Nat, I'm going to be very honest and say this is a current struggle in my house right now. And so I am with you rather than like advising you from a lofty place, but I'll, um, I've never had any of my kids be as strongly preferential as my third child is toward me. And we have running jokes about it in our family. Like we call her my tiny stalker cause she'll leave me love notes everywhere. Like I find notes. <laughs> I mean, she really thinks I am the bee's knees. Um, she prefers me at all times. Not only that, but she is not very nice to her dad a lot of the time. And it's oh, really hard. Ouch. It's, um, hurtful to him and it's manipulative on her part a lot of the time. And it is, uh, he understands that developmentally it's very normal for kids to have a preference, but as with many things with Violet, it comes out in a, like an ultra way. So instead of just like, Oh, I want mommy to put me to bed. No big deal. It comes with this kind of harsh rejection, um, and like, like a bit of a power play. And so mm. I will just say, this has not been easy for us. Brian is really, he tries really hard to know that it's normal not to take it personally, but it's very, it's very hard on him. And it's hard on me because the expectation is I am with her at all times, which is why, and she's in full-time school. She's almost seven right. years old. Like this is not a two-year-old. Um, so that's, that's the first thing I will say is it's just really hard. And so I, I'm validating that a couple of things that have helped for us with Violet, it never helps to be given the choice or to try to convince her to choose dad. She will always see that <laughs> as an open door and not just choose me, but do it in a way that's hurtful. So um, it has to be a non-option or like the only option. So sometimes that's when I'm gone and I do travel mm -hmm. for work a few times a year or I'm out doing something. Um, last night, Allegra and I were recording an episode of Kid Literate, our new podcast. 
unplanned plug there. Um, so Brian took the younger two up and the only option was that he was going to put her to bed. And he said they did great. She enjoyed it. But we have we have had to remove the choice because mm-hmm. that has what created the emotional dynamic um, in terms of like. Yeah, it is really hard. It's really hurtful. I think it helps to understand that it's normal. And I think it also can help to have, um, we just talked in the sleep question about being the least interesting parent. I use this strategy a lot. Like if you want to make a fort and make believe, guess what? I'm not your parent. Like I'm not, I am your, I'm still your parent. I'm not your guy. I'm not the one that is fun, but guess what? I know somebody else who will build the entire family room into a fort and line up 200 stuffed animals and pretend with you. His name's dad. He's great at what he does. Might I recommend like, and that will, so I have, I've had to have ways where I really remove myself as an option and then empower him to his strengths to where she can't resist. Like she can't resist like a stuffed animal for party. Um, But that's even that is sad. It's sad that he has to try that hard. So this has been hard for us. Um, can I say, I don't think I was ever in the position of not being the favorite parent. (laughs) Um, I think that's very typical for moms who work from home or stay home because the kids get used to dad coming and going. And my kids really didn't get used to me coming and going the same way. So I was sort of the default um, favorite. And so that was also hard on me because it was exhausting. And I do remember like what you're talking about, Sarah, is the like creating things that only in this case, mom can do. So I think that that's really wise to create things that only the unpreferred parent mm-hmm. can do, which would, in Nat's case would be mom. So like in our case, it was things like errands. Like John was great at grabbing a kid and taking them out on an errand. Mm-hmm. And I was bad at that. Like for me, going and running an errand was all about efficiency. And the last thing I wanted was like a toddler yeah. to slow it down. John liked to have company when he shopped because he wasn't used to having the kids around him all the time. So it was just a very different dynamic. And we were able to find little ways for the parent who was non-preferred to like take over for a while. Um, but it, and, and they all outgrew it. It, it is a phase that eventually either fades or sometimes flips. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard about families where a kid goes from being all about dad to all about mom or, or vice versa, yeah. but it is, it is hard. It's hard. Um, in the meantime, it is hard. And with a three-year-old, um, like she has, we're very used to offering them choices. Like, would you yes. like the red cup or the blue cup? Like, would you like, you know, in all the parenting books, that's the way you, you give a preschooler kind of their feelings of agency and power, which can be a great strategy. Uh, I have not found that effective in this case because we're choosing people and there are feelings right. involved. And, um, Often it, we're the adults like we get to decide. I think I've shared that my sister-in-law, they've had a t- mom and dad take turns doing bedtime every night. And I think it's such a beautiful system if it works for your schedule because it removes the the preference or the choice. They still might yeah. have a favorite parent. But if there's a, a little bit of a, an expectation that they don't always get to choose their favorite and that and the yes. other thing that does is it gives ample practice for bonding and connection. I know um, Nat was asking about fostering that connection when you don't feel like you're the one who's preferred. And a lot of connection comes with time and time spent mm-hmm. doing stuff together. So in any way that you can um, almost remove the choice and remove the emotionality of the choice. Like, Oh, yep. This is dad's turn to do this, or I'm in charge of bath time tonight. So here's how we're going to do it. And just kind of be matter of fact. And, um, I think a three-year-old is probably too young to understand the hurt feelings dynamic. So it's not about like, she doesn't need to feel guilty for preferring dad, but you can, 
just be matter of fact about she's not always going to get her preference. Just like you don't always yeah. get the cup, the color cup that you want um, with Violet, because she's almost seven. We do sometimes have conversations about the way her words make her dad feel because mm-hmm. she that she's older. That's a different conversation than I'd have with a three year old, probably. Well, and I mean, I like your idea that it's presenting something as this is just the way it is, is so often the solution to power, to power <laughs> yeah. struggles. Like yeah. it, because then it's not about no one's making the choice. It's just how it is. You can blame it on. It's just how it is. Yep. yep. It's like the universe decided this is the way things are going to be. Mom's not responsible. Dad's not responsible. And you don't get to choose. Let's move right. on. Right. Yes. right. <laughs> you can still choose the color of your cup, but yep. not this one. Um, well, Nat, I am in it with you, although on the other side and, um, yeah, that's really hard. It is. Well, thank you everyone um, for sending in your questions. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. And as a reminder, if you're listening right now thinking, why don't Sarah and Megan ever answer my questions? Maybe you haven't sent us one yet. So you can totally do that. And we really love to hear your voice. So go ahead and check out the show notes and there'll be more information there about how to send in a voicemail question, but we will take them via email too. Yes, we will. And these have been some great ones that we've done today. So get those questions sent in and happy new year to everyone. We're so glad you've joined us. And that's whether this is like your first time listening to us or maybe your 300 and 57th time however many episodes we've done (laughs) something Um, like that something like that we're just really happy to be kicking off a new year with you and if you have a bunch of new year energy that you don't know what to do with um i have a great interview coming up this friday with sarah hart unger she is one half of the best of both worlds podcast and she is a huge planner and planning and calendaring person even more than me. So she has a bunch of tips for um, planners, getting a planner for the new year, but also using it the best that you can to have a super organized and productive new year. So I know that kind of thing is really fun to dig into this time of year. So that will be our first voices interview of 2020. And that comes out this Friday. So we will talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by The Essential Calendar. Sarah, this is our favorite calendar for busy moms because its beautiful and simple design shows around three months at a time. Yeah, and with summer fast approaching, now is a great time to get the Essential Calendar and see what I've been raving about all these years. Get 10% off your order at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour. That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash themomhour.